loving our enemies, forgiving our betrayers, sacrificing our own desires for the good of others, Christian love is rather counterintuitive. And if you want to actually know what love is, let's jump in and see if we can make sense of it together. Hello, everyone. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Jess Grzeski, and today is Thursday, August 20th, and we're introducing our discussion on the virtue of love. And over the past two weeks, we have laid the foundation of virtues and that a life of virtue is a life that has not been mislived. Virtues are all grounded in our being as who we are and as Christians. We are given a new identity, so that must inform the virtue of love. First, we take our cue from God. God is love, found in 1 John 4. You know, and this might lead us to more questions, like if God is love— then what is that saying about God? What is it saying about love? And further, as Christians, how does love differ from the world and the way that it's defined there? And even further is how do we make our habits become more virtuous habits of love? I love James K.A. Smith's book, You Are What You Love. And in that, he states that Christians, our discipleship, we might say, is a way to, quote, curate your heart to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. And as our goal as Christians is to embody this type of love from our new identity. He states that, quote, Jesus's command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what he wants to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God, and crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. Now, this can be really hard to distinguish and identify between the virtue of Christian love and what the world defines it. And if you're like me, my first thought goes to actually trying to define love by all the things that I see in culture. It's everywhere sometimes, and it can be actually very confusing to distinguish between both. We see things such as statements of, love is love, true love waits, sentiments of, I love ice cream, I love my partner, I love my kids, I love dogs, and I love Zoom. Just kidding. No one actually says that. (laughs) You know, but culture states things like, God affirms us. God doesn't judge us, and God is there to make us feel good. Further, it gets complicated when we place all of these cultural understandings of love onto God. So the statement, God is love, is often misunderstood because we misunderstand what love means. And we as humans tend to want to define what love is. The biggest sentiment when culture defines love is that we believe that love does not judge, We believe that everyone can do what they want whenever they want, and this is what love means. But as Christians, we have to ask ourselves, do we think that Jesus is abolishing all morality and leaving everything up to the individual? And further in that logic, if that's the case, I'm not sure we've even begun to understand Jesus, because Jesus began his ministry saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And in this cultural understanding of love, we think that love equates to a sentiment of affirming anything that the person being loved really wants. We think in the logic, I love it, and God is love, so God must love it too. We also see this played out in movies, in plays, in music, in culture. You know, I can think of the thousands of love songs that, man, the tunes are so catchy, but when we actually pay attention to the lyrics, the meanings are useless and often meaningless. Or perhaps we try and plea with God with the narratives and questions like, if you loved me, you'd let me have this or you would let me do this. You know, in culture, we also see different kinds of love. We see love of the affection, love of friendship, and even romantic love. So cultural love is also sentimental. Love makes the person being loved feel good, and that must be the sole purpose of love. By the world standard, love is non-judgmental, affirming, and sentimental. And it's easy for us modern-day followers of Jesus to let this definition be our mode of operating. But a Christian understanding of love is distinct and important in ways because Christians understand love as originating in God and perfectly exemplified in the life and sacrifice of Jesus. You know, God's love is a different kind of love. It's agape love, a pure, willful, sacrificial love that intentionally desires another's highest good. God's love is expressed demonstrated, and shown when we grasp this idea that he loves us because it is in his very nature to love us, and by loving us, it fulfills his promises. Also, love was shown by sending his son. This is the agape love embodied. It's sacrificial, it's selfless, it's pure. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God loved you and us and collectively our humanity that he sacrificed his only son. And if you want to know what love is, let's look at Jesus and how he loves. He is the love of God made manifest. It's seen in his ministry, his kindness, his power, his justice, his compassion, his forgiveness, and ultimately in his death. We can also see demonstrations of his love in the Gospels. We see it as the love for the leper. He's healing the leper by touching him in Matthew 8. We see that Jesus has compassion on the crowd, for he refers to them as they were like sheep without a shepherd in Matthew 9. And we also see Jesus as he's showing the rich young ruler the error of his ways and calling him to drop his idols out of love found in Mark 10. But this is where we need new terms to define what the virtue of love actually is. John picks this thought up in 1 John 4.10 that says this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Something also to remember about love is that it is totally normal not to be able to comprehend the incomprehensible. There is this intentional mystery to this kind of agape love. God's intention is to not confuse us or leave us scrambling, but to help us not take our cues from culture. This is when in our human brains, we find it really hard to be able to receive and accept God's love because we think we have to earn it. 
It's not like God is an employer giving us a paycheck because we've earned it. And this kind of agape love goes beyond feeling lovable and that the struggles with feeling worthy or deserving. God loves without limit. There is a depth to it which none can fathom. There is a height to it which none can scale. There is a length to it and breadth to it which defies measurement. It is unknowable, and the irony is we can know it by experiencing Jesus. In Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, it says, May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So, Part of the virtue of love as defined by God is to be expressed and experienced through the Holy Spirit. So this is where we get to spend a few weeks talking about how the marks of a Christian virtue of love shows up in our lives. We might ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to practice the Christian virtue of love? And clearly love is a multifaceted virtue. So we plan on exploring the many faces of love in the coming Thursdays, but we thought we'd zoom in on the most challenging and distinctly Christian form of love today, love for our enemies. And to do this, Dave sat down with Preston Sprinkle, who has studied the topic of enemy love. Preston is a biblical scholar, professor, speaker, and best-selling author of books such as Fight, A Christian Case for Nonviolence. Let's listen. So good to be with you, man. Thank you so you much too, for saying, saying yes to this. Um, so right now we're in the, a little um, a study, a little podcast study on virtue, on the Christian virtues. And love is like, it's kind of like the Christian virtue. Probably, yeah. you know, right? It's like, but my, the, my, my question for you, um, from your studies, the books you've written on, on Jesus' nonviolent way, uh, discipleship of Jesus being a nonviolent path of love. What makes the, the Christian idea of love so dist- I kind of maybe just gave it away, but what makes the Christian idea of love distinctive from the love talked about so much in our cultural moment? Like everyone's talking about love. What makes Christian love so distinctive? Yeah, that, thank you. That's a great question. And um, well, I mean, I, I would say the number one thing is that, you know, Christian agape love comes with selfless sacrifice toward the undeserving. Um, I think, I think the idea of love, you know, you hear phrases like love is love and, um, yeah. or even people describe, you know, I'm just going to be loving. I'm not going to, which typically people mean like, therefore I'm not going to think about ethics or, you know, right or wrong or call someone out or whatever. And that, that's just such a watered down form of love. I mean, in, especially in the early church, you see, the centrality of, in particular, enemy love, that what sets Christianity apart, and in fact, what propels it in, in that day, you know, in the Roman Empire, was that we not only love our neighbors, but we love our enemies. And it was that countercultural, head-spinning posture of Christianity that really led to its flourishing and ended up, you know, mm. in, in some ways conquering the Roman Empire through love, you know. But, but again, it wasn't, it wasn't like it wasn't just a watered down form of love. It was love in action, love that would lead you to serve the undeserving with no hope of repayment. In fact, um, assuming that you're, they're not going <laughs> to give back anything, assuming they're not, they're not worth, worth it, assuming that it might even 
literally get your head chopped off, you know? Wow. So it was love toward the unloving, which manifests in embodying the sacrifice of Christ is I guess the best way I can put it. That's good. So um, you, you, you said the enemy love, which I think we kind of want to hone in on a bit here. You know, Jesus was asked the question, you know, who's your neighbor? I guess my question to you would be, who's your enemy? How would you define, what do you mean by enemy? Like, how would we define yeah. who is our enemy? Well, I think, yeah. Um, I, I think Jesus kept it generic on purpose so that we wouldn't have a certain kind of enemy in mind. I mean, obviously, when Jesus says, love your enemies in Matthew 5, in a first century context, in a Jewish context, the enemy would be a political enemy, a military, a military enemy that, you know, the hmm. Roman Empire yeah. um, militaristically ruling over Israel. Yeah. Um, the, so in that, in, in, that, in that category, it's the oppressed being called to love their oppressor. In, in a, wow. You know, as, as kind of a generic way of putting it. Um, but it, it does, I mean, he, the, the very, even the very language that Jesus uses there is very generic. He does, not, he does not tie it down. And I think he does that on purpose so that people don't say, oh, I can love that enemy, but not that enemy. You know, I could, hmm. <laughs> oh, I could love my, my literal atheist neighbor, but I can't love my Republican, you know, racist uncle or whatever. You know, the, yeah. I feel like today we have such we yeah there's certain types of people that we just don't want to love or you know i don't want to get politically one-sided you can just flip it around however you want but, yeah totally um, easy yeah yeah i mean it's it's your enemy is i mean in a sense is the one that's the hardest to love you know um mm. whether it's somebody with a you know is literally persecuting you or or it is that obnoxious neighbor or is somebody whose moral failings you just have a hard time with you know um and how would you define what like define for me as best you can like what does it mean to love you know I, I, yeah. like what does it mean to love your enemy like okay so we define enemy someone yeah. that you actually don't want to love or you you that even might be in some way oppressing we have right now we're in a cultural moment of our enemies actually need to be triumphed over <laughs> by either rebellion or by call out culture or by, but the, I guess yeah. what I'm getting at is the Christian posture is to love. What does that mean? Yeah, that's good. I mean, again, I'd go back to love being an action, um, love being seeking the good of somebody else, um, which would manifest an action. This isn't just, you know, a kind, you know, tweet. It's not just, um, saying something i mean it would come with verbal affirmation or whatever but i mean it's uh yeah self-sacrifice love so whether somebody's in financial need you give up of yourself in that way somebody's in need of i mean again in that context you know of clothing or even i love the illustration that jesus gives you know if you're if you're um someone you know asks you to carry your pack one mile you do it carry it two miles and even even that like that's a that's actually a specific illustration of a Roman soldier, it was common in the first century for them to take, you know, a Jew and say, hey, you know, carry my pack. And it was really a shameful thing. I mean, it was a real dehumanizing thing. I mean, it was, and let alone physically strenuous. And he says, you know, 
take it two miles, not just one mile, just go out of your way to shower this person with undeserved action, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah. Gosh, I, mean, I, I love that undeserved action, like your action towards the people that you would call your enemy, uh, an action of love that, that, almost, that goes the extra mile and, and, um, and is intentional to, to, to almost like to bless and not curse, you know? Totally. Yeah. 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 I mean, it has to have that action element that, that, that is what, um, sets Christianity apart is that we don't just love in word, but we love indeed. Um, mm. and it comes at an expense, like there, there's something you're giving up of yourself. There's something you're losing for the benefit of somebody else especially that if that somebody else doesn't deserve it, you know, it's almost like it, it's, it magnifies the act of love. The more the other person doesn't deserve it. Uh, Why do you think Jesus calls us to do this? This is so counterintuitive. This is so like not the way the world works. Actually, when you do this, you get taken advantage of most of the time. Yeah. And sometimes you don't even know why it would, why, why does Jesus call his followers to do this? I mean, the, uh, I guess the quick, easy answer is because that's exactly what he did for us. You know, I mean, it's yeah. all, it's nothing but an outflow of an outflow and imitation of what we have received freely from God who, you know, loved us when we didn't deserve it. And so it's always rooted yeah. in, you know, the action of Christ. Becoming um, like Christ. Yeah. I just doesn't I, seem like it, it's so hard to like, see it like working, you know, I know it does. And I know yeah. all, I know it. I know it does. I know God is just. I know that in the end, it actually does. Is nonviolent love, yeah. um, nonviolent resistance with love. I know that these are things that have have won the world over several different times. But sometimes, in the midst of yeah. how chaotic our world gets, like that does not work. You know. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's what's interesting is it actually does. Like, um, there's a great book by Ron Sider who's done so much work on nonviolence um uh on you know uh on poverty relief and everything and he has a book i forgot the title but he goes through the last hundred years and shows how um nonviolent revolutions were way more effective than violent ones hmm. um and i didn't even know half of these stories existed but he he documents all kinds of cases where um where some sort of you know dictator some horrible ruler was they, they tried to overthrow them with violence and it just didn't work hmm. but the second they tried a non-violent revolt sometimes you know horrific governments were toppled within a couple of weeks you know um wow and even that this is what drove king right mlk i mean you know he said you know people know what to do with violence they just overpower violence with more violence and then the cycle's never broken but they don't know what to do with non-violence i mean it really was Hmm. The non, their commitment to nonviolence that was a massive part of the success of the civil rights mo movement, you know, and that's not even yeah. debated, really. Which is what makes Christian love so, um, so important for followers of Jesus to embody right now, um, loving our enemies, because I think, I think what is so apparent in our world right now is that everyone has an enemy. And enemies are pretty much the line is drawn in households right now across churches. There's just lines being drawn. And so you see your enemy at church. I mean, not physically anymore, but 
like you see your enemy that goes to your same church, your enemy is in your same family, or your enemy is like, uh, you know, on the other side of the nation or whatever, it's very clear to see your enemy. And then the Christian call to love them. Now, my qu- question is, how does Jesus's call like to love and, and pray for our enemies? How does that interact with like the Old Testament Psalms in which, you know, people yeah. prayed for God's wrath and destruction on their enemies? Like, how do those sorts of things? <laughs> yeah, I was just reading Psalm 139 a couple of days ago to my kids. And it's this beautiful Psalm of like, God has knit my inward parts. He knows every fiber of your being. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. But if you read a few more verses, it's like one of the most grotesque, like yep. gruesome prayers against your enemy. But you dash your children up against the rocks. And like, whoa. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, when it comes to, let's just say the biblical view of violence or broadly how we're to treat our enemies there, there is what I call an ethical trajectory there. There is some movement within scripture. Um, so yeah, they, they, Israel flat out was not called to um, love the Canaanites, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, and the Psalms kind of participate in that kind of, uh, that, that, that approach to your enemies. Um, but that's, it, something can be allowed or even commanded in the old Testament and not in the new. Mm-hmm. And I just, people get really nervous with that, but I'm like everybody who, unless you went to church with a lamb under your shoulder last, you know, and slit its throat last Sunday or whatever, like you, we all, we all know that we're willing to think about it. Anybody who's had a bacon sandwich recently knows that some things were forbidden in the old, and, uh, you know, not for, you know, allowed in the new. So I, yeah, I think there is an allowance of violence towards your enemy in the Old Testament. But what you see throughout the Old Testament is God slowly bringing Israel away from that perspective. Hmm. Um, so even in the prophets, I mean, Isaiah, Isaiah, like, really critiqued the militarization of Israel. And even he had the famous prophecy in chapter 2 of, you know, they're going to turn their swords into plowshares and yeah. spears into pruning hooks. Or maybe I've got that backwards, but... Um, where you see violent, you know, weapons of violence being turned into weapons of peace and, and flourishing and agriculture. And um, so even, even towards the end of the Old Testament, you see glimpses of this, what I would call, you know, Christocentric vision of enemy love, um, you know, starting to break into God's creation. So, yeah, I, I'm not going to say, and so, you know, there's people disagree with what I'm saying, but I mean, I, I'm not going to say that love your enemies was always kind of, there in the old you know like the, a mandate in the same way that it was in the new but mm. it does i mean it, it does come with the culmination of uh the story of scripture culminating in, in christ uh, mm. yeah. which i think leaves a ton of of room of seeing jesus as a revolutionary like how jesus actually does come and show us like god's heart true humanity true uh like the true heart of god and um, what we what we like kind of like have to like be called into and aspire to, you know, um, yeah, which totally. I think is what's so fascinating about Jesus and that how enemy love and submitting himself to even enemy violence, him being nonviolent, like overthrew the powers of of the day and overthrew even the sin of humanity, like that right. that just counter intuitive logic, that inverse logic of God's kingdom and love 
is still yeah. something I, I like trip out about. Um, so how, okay, the last question, how do we, how do we love our enemies and lament the brokenness of the world at the same time? How would you like lead people <laughs> into that? Like, how do you do both? I don't know if I'm the, yeah, I don't know if I'm the best example of this, man. I mean, I fail at this all the time, just even in my heart. So <laughs> I can help us all understand scripture, but in, in terms of like being a good example, living this out, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I struggle, man. Um, yeah. Cause yeah, I look at, I do too. When I look at, I, <laughs> when I look at evil, wickedness, and especially, yeah. you know, you look around society today and there's just a lot of really nasty people. And I, it's hard for me to do want anything other than their destruction, you know, like it's, that's what wells up inside. So I, yeah. I think it's okay to have that righteous indignation, you know, I mean, I think that, yeah. um, but I think we just have to know deep down that we are no better. You can look at somebody else's sins, just pick your whatever, the, the kind of person in society today that just drives you crazy. The second you think you're better than that person, then you're missing it, man. And the second I look at somebody else, whether they're, I, again, I'm not even going to give an example because yeah. I don't want to yeah. <laughs> split the audience, whatever. But I mean, I, um, I'm like, I'm no better, dude. Like, I, while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. You know, yeah. I was the ungodly uh, person that Jesus died for when I didn't deserve it. So, does that other person deserve it? No, <laughs> of course yeah. not. Uh, do they deserve wrath and destruction? Yes. Um, but that's not going to manifest the power of God in their life either. You know, let, yeah. let God, you know, I do, I do love that verse in Romans uh, 12, you know, vengeance is mine. I will repay. I'll, I'll, I'll settle all debts. I'll take care of justice in the perfect way. Your job is to, you know, don't return evil for evil to be at peace with all people and, and yeah. love your enemy with yourself, you know? So. That's so um, good. And I think that's yeah. a way that I think that is, I think you use the word manifest God's power. I think that is the way that we can manifest God's power and his presence in the yeah. midst of a world. So fractured and beat up right now is through the practice of enemy love, praying for our enemies, loving our enemies through action, which I think, you know, is the call is I think what makes Christian love so distinctive. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, My pleasure, man. Thank you so much yeah. for your time. This is, this is really, really good. As Preston finished reflecting on identifying with enemies sin as a way to love them, even if we can both lament and grieve failings, both within us and on account of others. We will now close with a prayer from the book of common prayer. It's going to help us guide us into praying for our enemies. These will be available in the show notes. And before we pray it, I invite you to think about those in your life you might be most anger or saddened by, or perhaps anyone we might resent. I'd encourage you not to numb these feelings. Instead, let them carry you into keeping God's command to love these people. Let's pray. O oh God, the Father of all, whose Son commanded us to love our enemies. Lead them and us from prejudice to truth. Deliver them and us from hatred, cruelty, and revenge. And in your good time, enable us all to stand reconciled before you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Be blessed as you follow Jesus and love your enemies. 
Next week, join us as we take a look at how love looks like radical forgiveness.